Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've been hearing ads for Zencaster these past months. Interested in sponsoring this show or podcast ads for your business? Go to zen.ai forward slash the archaeology show and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, welcome to the Archaeology Show. This is Paul Zimmerman. Normally, I am co-host over on the Archaeotech Podcast, but today we are taking over the Archaeology Show. And we're doing that because, uh, well, I'm in the field right now. I'm in the field in Iraq on a site called Lagash, which is in southern Iraq, a Mesopotamian site, early dynastic primarily. And this is my second time here. I've talked about it a few times on the Architect podcast. And yeah, so I'm here and I'm here with a few of my colleagues and we just wanted to cue this up, talk a little bit about what we do on this kind of a project. And we're going to come back again in a couple of weeks and tell you how it's going. And then we're going to round out this podcast episode with a final segment at the end of our dig and tell you, you know, what went right, what went wrong, what we'd like to do differently or again, uh, you know, just so that our listeners can have a sense of what it's like to be on a dig like this. So anyhow, I'm here doing tech stuff primarily, big shock, doing drone work, doing some thermal imaging, again from a drone, and doing a surface survey that I designed and we'll find out if I designed it right or if I totally goofed this. <laughs> my interest, my background is in Mesopotamian archaeology, but as any of our listeners know, I hadn't been in actively field archaeology for you know about 20 years and I'm now you know jumping back into it heavily. So my other colleagues here are Sara Pizimenti, Zeda Rawi, and Brad Hafford. And I'm gonna cue you up next here, Sara, if you could tell us what your role is here and what you hope to find. So hi everybody. I'm Sara Pizimenti. I come from Italy. I'm from the University of Pisa and here I'm the co-field director of the Lagash Archaeological Project. So for me here, this is the second season I'm working in this project. So we started in 2019. Uh, and what we want to do during this season is uh, to go on on the survey and to the drone work that Paul is wonderfully going on. And uh, also we wanted to do some tests from the survey into the drone work we did during the last season. So we opened some trenches in the area where the last season we went in with some drone work, in UAV drone work and survey. So we wanted to test what we did and the results we achieved during the last season. Then we are trying to discover if we have some housing in this areas we detected using the drone imagery during the last season. And we are now just opening our trenches and we're trying to go on. And Let's hope for the best. Well, hello. <clears throat> My name is Zaid Al-Rawi. I am an anthropological archaeologist uh, from Iraq, and I am the uh, Luggish Archaeological Project 
manager. My specialization is um, the use of satellite imagery and uh, remote sensing. I do spatial analysis between ancient settlement in Mesopotamia, specifically southern Mesopotamia. My role in this project is uh, to explore the landscape around Lagash. I'm not particularly interested in uh, features and the spatial analysis, you know, among features within cities, but rather outside the big cities in the peripheral area. This season, in particular, I am interested in a uh, mound or small mounds area around Lagash, uh, which they look uh, archaeological sites considering many factors and I would like to explore further the nature of these mounds in relation to the main city of Lagash by doing a test excavation. Well, I'm Brad Hafford. I'm a field archaeologist from the Penn Museum and currently I'm the field director at the ancient city of Ur and I'm on loan to Lagash as a field supervisor essentially. Because we're not actually digging it all right now, we'll dig in the fall. So what do I do here? Dig one of the trenches, really. I have not been on Lagash until now, and we've had about three days of excavation. So what was I expecting? Well, I knew it was a big site, and it was mostly early dynastic. I'd seen some magnetometry and some drone photos. So I knew there were wall alignments somewhere just beneath the surface. So expecting houses of the early dynastic period, like Sara said. So that's kind of what I want to find. But we set two trenches one of them a bit higher than the other. So why are these little mounds sometimes? Lagash is pretty flat, but there are small mounds around. So we put one on top of those and one down below. And I'm digging the one on top and I'm not finding houses yet. In fact, I've run into kilns. What do those kilns look like? I mean, how do you know something's a kiln as opposed to a house? Well, they stand out pretty clearly as we clear off the dirt from the top. We get these red spots where they're ovals, basically. Red and, and kind of yellow. And that's because of the burning. And then surrounding it is, seems to be all of the material they dumped from it. And that's black and gray. And it's the burnt material that comes from inside. And uh, we think they're firing pots in here probably, although they're pretty small. So I don't know exactly how much you can fit in one of these. Now, the other thing I'm told is that in 2019, I wasn't here, but there was a trench opened that also found many of these kilns. So maybe it shouldn't be such a surprise. And maybe that's why there are these mounded areas. They're doing that on top of older houses. Mm. Because I think Sarah can talk about the fact that her lower trench is already coming up with houses, right? Yes, exactly. So actually, my, my, my trench is just at the bottom of one of these uh, small mounds that Brad is talking about. And on one corner of my trench, we got part of the kilns that Brad is excavating. But then immediately underneath them, we have these houses that are just start coming up. So we expect to have the same situation in Brad's trench. Right. I'll just have to dig through about a, a meter of probably burned material. Maybe there are layered kilns. I think they found kilns inside of kilns almost. Older ones are beneath. And so that's kind of what I'm expecting. But one of the things about archaeology is just because you expect something, you're not necessarily going to find it. So in a couple of weeks when we do the next portion of this episode, we'll find out uh, if we're right. Great. So these kilns that you're finding on top of the houses that you expect, how much later in time do you think they are? They should be like Illo Dynastic 3 or maybe 3A because according to what we found during the last season, the trench we excavated was about kilns and those were dating to the ED3. Sure. And we would say that's about 2600, 2500 BCE? What, what do you uh, think? 
Well, hard to say. Still, right? still, yeah. still, we don't know. Yes, in talking about our accounts, we have to check the boundary. Have a yeah. quick look, and there looks like there should be ED three. Okay. So does that mean then that the houses that you expect underneath are abandoned, and this part of the site has changed use? Oh, this could be uh, definitely a possibility that we have a change in use in this part of the site, mm -hmm. uh, exp according to what we found so far. So right. if we have the kilns that are overlapping to the house, as I have in the trench, in the part of the trench, this was what could be happening. Right. And we think the houses might be ED1, right? We're not I, sure. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> yet, but we saw something that looks like a little bit ED1, but mm -hmm. you have to check the battery, so sure. you have to stay tuned. To right. know if right. it is ED1 or not. Okay, and for our listeners, what's the time difference? How, how many centuries between ED1 and ED3, roughly? Well, actually, ED1 is exactly before. It's, ED, yeah, it's and it's a long period. It's you know, a really starting 3,200 BCE up exactly. to 2,625. Yeah. So, yeah, they could be. A hundred years apart, they could be two, three hundred years apart. Yeah, well, we are right? we are planning to to do sampling, so maybe mm -hmm. further analysis yeah. can tell us better if we have like a gap between the two mm -hmm. different. And qualities. I've already gotten some really good charcoal samples right. from this burned material in the kiln, so hopefully we can get a carbon fourteen date on that. Right. And in the house, we know for we have between because we already detected something. And we also have here some burned layer that can give us some charcoal to do C14 sampling and C14 analysis. So with regards to the architecture that's underneath, you know, you're, you're starting to find some SATA. Yeah. And you both said that you're expecting them. You're expecting them from the UAV and magnetometry work that was done here before. Right. Can you explain what in that imagery, in that existing imagery, made you think, hey, I've got houses here? Well, thanks to the UAV drone photos we had in the geomagnetometry, we had the possibility to really look at planimetry of the structure we have immediately underneath the surface. And it looks like part of, of the city occupied with different structures. It looks like houses according to the planimetry. And also, we, we found out different neighborhood with, divided by streets. So what we wanted to do was also to place one of our trenches between two buildings and even to detect roads or alleys or we hope to, maybe we can have one of those trenches with the one alley inside so we can also investigate how the streets work in the EV. Yeah, right. And also, one, we don't know. We have to check. That uh, when you're on the site, you don't necessarily see any standing architecture. It's subterranean. I mean, subsurface. Yeah. yeah. But I did some drone work yesterday, and you can see these walls clear as day in some yeah. parts of the site. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's without even using something as fancy as the magnetometry, which is designed to look below right. the ground. Right. Right, because the mud bricks of walls will absorb water differently than the surrounding materials. So sometimes they will just barely appear. And yet when you're in a drone, yeah, you, you can see these advantage. lines. It's amazing. It's like the city is there. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, Zade, we're talking a lot about UAV and you're talking about satellite work. And uh, what about the satellite work makes you interested in, uh, or the satellite imagery you've seen, makes you interested in these smaller sites around? What makes you think that those are sites? Well, there is, you know, some basic information that we were trained as landscape archaeologists, you know, to look at when we when we observe the ground, especially in a place very flat like southern Mesopotamia. 
So sites like when when certain sites show the uh, morphology of an uh, like a, like like something that's round or an oval shape has some elevation above the surrounding uh, flat plain. Mm-hmm. That's good indication to for it to be an archaeological site. Sometimes we we see spots that are happen to be looted, and that gives us almost you know a certain indication that this. This is an archaeological site. Otherwise, it would have not been, you know, attracted looters on the ground to extract materials illegally from it. Now, you know, what's special about the small sites around uh, Lagash, the fact is, you know, uh, there are seasonal marshes that they come and go uh, with uh, different proportions of water into them. It depends on the season. Certain sites, small sites, we cannot see them at all during certain seasons. Or we could see only the small tip of them that does not represent the, the entire small mound. Uh, so uh, what we do is actually we go back uh, through a historical image on Google or other kind of image to see how, you know, how much of water is in the area and how much of the site we could see. And again, we revert back to the basic uh, indications to determine it could be an archaeological site. And at the end, we have to do uh, ground control. And possibly, if we have more suspicion as we are on the ground, we uh, perform test pits uh, that like what we are aiming to do, what I am aiming to do uh, this season. Great. So you, you have to identify a potential site from the, uh, from the satellite imagery first, based off of a number of different factors. Yes. You go then and physically get your feet on the ground there to try to see it. What, what kinds of things are you looking for when you get on the ground to verify that it's a site and not just some random accumulation of something? Right. So first, you know, first thing that, you know, um, the basic thing is, you know, typical to southern Mesopotamian sites, it's lots of uh, cultural materials. Lots of surface archaeological remains, like pottery shards, uh, you know, and other things. If it's there, then no need to go farther. It's archaeological sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, because of uh, certain natural processes uh, or the nature of the area, like you know what we are looking for this season around Lagash, there are marshes, there are you know deposits that comes with, uh, with, with the water of the marshes that could cover such sites with good thick layer of silt that comes from the rivers and that that possibly cause uh, the disappearance of cultural material materials right on the uh, surface of the site and you know um, in, in in which case we have to dig test hole through that test hole uh, trying to get to these cultural materials to verify the historical identity of these sites great no that makes a lot of sense I'm going to wrap up this segment of the uh, episode right now and just let you know that if you hear background noises here, I hear a saw in the background, there are lots of angry sparrows, it's that we're in the storeroom of our dig house. And, and I actually kind of like some of the ambient noise. I hope that some of it comes through because uh, there's always a little bit of <laughs> making do when you're in the field. And even though our dig house is wonderful, here we are all working and living together and trying to turn <laughs> the outside workroom into a... Uh, ad hoc podcasting studio. So uh, until next time, in a couple of weeks, I hope that we have some really exciting new discoveries to, uh, to share with you. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
and all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, welcome back to the Archaeology Show, segment two. This is about two weeks later than the first segment, and if you notice a difference in sound quality, as I finished last segment, I was talking about how on an archaeological project you often have to make do. Well, our makeshift recording studio got turned into a bedroom and got tiled, and it's now very echoey. So we're out behind the dig house, and if you hear you know, cattle sounds and birds and so on, that's because uh, we're in the great outdoors right now. But like I said, it's two weeks later, and, uh, and we have some results finally to show. So why don't we kick it off with you, Sada? Okay. Yeah, we went, we went on with the excavation, and we completely uncovered two wonderful buildings with a very narrow hollow between them. So... We decided to go on in one of the buildings, the southern one, and we uncovered a very impressive sequence of views of this building. And I say like six floors, one above the others. Let's say you in your room, you redo floors when a generation passed, and so you, you take your house from your mother's and then you do the floors. And that's what they do. So six floors, one above the other. But the most interesting thing is that when we destroyed to go down, the first floor, we uncovered a wonderful roof collapse. And now we are going to discover what we had in on the floors. What does roof collapse look like? Ashy. Terrible ashy. Ashes everywhere. Because it was mainly built with palms maybe and reeds. And so it was completely destroyed. It was very ashy and a little bit of plasters on the top probably that was the upper covers of the roof and also this is very interesting on the top of it in this collapse we discovered like pottery smashed and bones and so we think that probably on the top of the roof we had some activities related to the processing of foods because we got animal bones mainly Mm -hmm. and jars and trays and this kind of things all sorts of materials yeah Zaid You've had an interesting last couple of weeks. I guess so. So this is going to be a part of the landscape archaeology around the ancient city of Lagash. I guess, you know, in 2019 season, I thought I was blessed by that season having uh, a plentiful of water around the site that mimic maybe the ancient formation of the marshes around the site. So it gives us, um, you know, more visual reality of the, the use of water around the city in an economic way by the ancient people. But this season, uh, we have rather a shortage of water. And uh, I always uh, thought of it that is, you know, it's not as a blessing. But in fact, actually, that helped us and exposed some part of the landscape, especially at the eastern side 
eastern side of the site of the city, which exposed a number of mounds that we were going to explore. Uh, one of them, the bigger one, uh, the first target, you know, we put a trench in it, trying to find out about its historical identity. It turned out that uh, that mound was more of a natural uh, formation, it was done by uh, a flood of the uh, marsh and the recession of water, very uh, frequent, and there is no archaeological uh, materials in it. So it turned out it's not archaeological, despite the, all the signature that we get for it uh, by remote sensing, looking at it from the air through, through uh, imagery. Now, reaching out to that site, on our way, we noticed uh, other small mounds, and uh, we checked them at the, uh, through satellite imagery, and they were suspicious as well. Not as suspicious as the first one, but surprisingly, when we, we, we got there and explored two of them, uh, both of them turned out to be uh, uh, archaeological mounds without even having to dig a trench on these locations. So we have two new archaeological sites, smaller ones next to the ancient city that needs to be declared archaeological, and that's what we are working on. So, Zaid, one of the, the first of those two uh, outlying mounds, I mean, it's just off the eastern edge of, of the main Tel Alhiba, Lagash, you know, less than 500 meters, probably about 200 meters off it. And when we went there, Sara and I were like jumping for joy. Do you want to want to explain why uh, why we found it so exciting? Yeah, so that site actually was, you know, uh, it, it, you know, it's 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 almost part of the bigger city limit. It's in, within the city limit, right out at the edge, uh, but it's a very unnoticeable uh, low mound. And you know, going to the other targeted sites that turned out not archaeological, we noticed this mound with a distinctive uh, color, like uh, brown, dark, rather darker brown color. And, uh, you know, when I stopped by and, you know, it looked like there was a bunch of surface surface collection on top of it, which tells us this is archaeological. We don't need to go farther. But beyond this point, you know, I could not tell what's if there is any well, if it if, if the site is special or there is anything special that makes it distinctive than the rest of the mounds and you know as part of the city now when sarah went there and you paul you know it was uh, you know, she quickly you noticed uruk materials on on the surface of the site which makes the site very special and dates back to the uruk period immediately Right, so around 3,000 BCE. Three, 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 beyond, 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 3,000, 3,500, 3,400, something, right. yeah, yeah. So before the main period before, of, yeah. of Lagash, so yeah. that's mostly early dynastic. So. Yeah, we have the middle or period, because one mm-hmm. of the handles we discovered were like the torches. Twisted? Twisted? Yeah. Twisted one, and it was middle or so it was wow. really oh, exciting. Wow. <laughs> Our ceramicist. <laughs> Uh, Brad, what have you been coming up with? Well, mostly kilns. Uh, we knew they were there early on because of the color differentiation, very red soil because it had been burned so much. But what surprised me is just how deep they are. So we started digging one of them and it just kept going down. We had layers of that red with a burned yellow uh, bricky material, which I think was the superstructure of the kiln that had been broken down in. And that went down 40, 50 centimeters. And then we would hit a very hard concretion of this material and break through that. Finally, we got ash down where we think we're at the bottom. I'm not sure if I'm completely there yet. But they reach almost a meter down from the preserved surface. So I, I hadn't expected it to be quite that deep. So it looks like a very narrow trench, a pit that they dug. 
and then they would put in the fuel and the pottery, and then they would build up a kind of domed superstructure of clay. And when they fired it, of course, that clay became brick, essentially. In order to get the things out, they had to break that, and that's why it got all the brick around. So we were finding brick like that all the way across this area, and that's another thing that I've been doing, is clearing away use surfaces. And I use that because I mean people were walking around on this surface. It's not the same as a floor inside a building. This is more like a floor outside a building. And when you walk around, you pack down things. And each one of those had very dark ash and charcoal and pottery and all of this stuff that's all packed down. So it's a bit like the interior surface that Sara was talking about, but a bit thicker. And there are even ceilings in there, which are clay that had been attached to jars or other things. And then some of them had been stamped or rolled with a seal to identify either the owner or the materials in it or something like that. There weren't a lot of those that had the impressions on them, but we're very excited to find them. And many of those look to be early dynastic one. But I keep thinking the use surfaces are associated with the kilns, which we think are ED3A. And I don't quite get how that could be. Why does earlier material get packed into a floor? If the ash is coming from those kilns and being dumped there, why would they have early material as well? So there are things we still don't know. We'll keep digging. I'm starting to get walls in one portion of my trench. I was hoping to find houses like Sara had, and they do exist, but they're deeper down, and I'm not quite there yet. Yeah, deeper down and also cut into, presumably. By the kilns, yes, certainly in half of the trench. The other half is a bit clearer, which is where we're starting to see wall alignments, and we hope to get more of that over the next week or two, and I'll tell you a bit in our next installment. Great. And uh, as for me, I said I had two major projects. One was the thermal imaging from the drone. That one's been, I'm not going to say a bust. I haven't given up on it yet, but it's been really problematic in that the gimbal assembly has a real hard time holding the, the, uh, the camera still when it's up in the air. Uh, so I've been spending a lot of time adjusting all the different parameters for stabilizing that gimbal. And I think I finally have it, but the last time I flew it, I was getting terrible interference with the control system. So <laughs> I flew it up, and once it was up about 20 feet, the, uh, the drone decided that it had to return because it lost, it lost its <laughs> communication with the controller. So I ended up also crashed the drone once, but uh, we won't talk about that too much. The other project was the surface survey, and that one I'm going to uh, say is a rousing success. And uh, I designed it so it would be easy to do, so I could train other people in, and... I did a couple days by myself, it went fairly well, I made a few adjustments, then I trained in Zaid, and Zaid promptly trained in one of our reps, Haider, and Haider then right. helped me translate the, uh, the collection form into, so it's bilingual, both English and Arabic, and then he trained in the other rep, Abdul Khalik. And, uh, and so Haider and Abdul Halik have been racing through this <laughs> as fast as possible, but seem to do a good job. And, uh, and it's great to see, you know, all these collection loci being ticked off day by day on the map. So I think that that one is a rousing success. We'll see what happens when I process the data and look at the heat maps. But in terms of the part that I could control, the how it's done and how I can train people. That one feels really good. And a side note for that is that at one of the points that I collected, I found a cylinder seal 
on the surface, a small early dynastic three shell kind of inscribed lines, kind of a crosshatch design, a cylinder seal. And it was in a location that uh, nearby we found a human phalanx. And I think that from the distribution of pottery on the surface there, the cylinder seal, that human bone, I think that we've identified the ancient cemetery for the city or one of the ancient cemeteries. There probably were more than one on a city of this size. So that's been pretty successful and I've been pretty happy with it. We got a few more minutes left, so why don't you, Sada, tell us what you hope to do over the next, you're going to be stopping early, so maybe explain that, but what do you hope to do over the next couple of weeks before we wrap up? Well, everything? first of all, of course, I have to reach the floors, you know, or, you know, the building I'm excavating, you know, the part of the building I'm excavating, reaching the floors, taking the materials crashed on the floors, making all the documentation about the structure. So I will do photogrammetry, 3D modeling, and so that we have all under control. And then we want to cover our trench because in the next season we want to go down and we want to see which is the first occupation of this part of the site so we will go down deep i don't know how many meters so the next week first first of all i will finish the excavation i will cover the the trench mm-hmm. and then of course i have to go on with the material so pottery 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 <laughs> till the last day Great. And Zaid, what are you going to be doing the next couple of weeks while we wrap up? Well, I'll try to, you know, now that we have, you know, potentially two archaeological sites known to us, I'll try to get some diagnostic shards, you know, for identification of the historical, you know, nature of these sites, but to put them in the expected time period that they were used uh, back, uh, back in the days. Of course, I'll need the help of my friends, Sarah, here, and maybe if we have enough time, I'll, uh, you know, uh, seek help uh, from you, Paul, to do some uh, flying and, uh, you know, try to identify some structures, you know, subsurface structures, things like that, to collect more, you know, information to put them on file for these sites. Right. And then we have a visitor coming down or some visitors coming down from the Department of Antiquities from ESPA tomorrow. And one of them is in charge, I believe, of registering sites. Right. Will you be registering these sites with her? Definitely. At the end, yeah. Actually, they they are supposed to bring uh, some uh, declaration form. And I think they will include some specific information about the sites. And we need to provide these informations either this season or next season. But at least now we tell them these are archaeological sites and we have the physical evidence for that. Right, so there's a whole process already in place, yep. and we have legal, <laughs> moral, reasons, ethical, yeah. academic reasons to uh, yep. to work with them on this. Brad, <laughs> are you going to get rid of those damn kills? <laughs> well, that's uh, one of the goals, clean it out completely, make sure I've got the bottom of this kiln, and I understand it. We're already making 3D models of two of them. The third one is only about half done. So I want to clean those out, but I also really need to get to the architecture. So. I'm likely to kind of cut the trench in half and do a five by 10 where I know I can get the architecture and understand that while I'm finishing the kilns. Instead of trying to take the whole 10 by 10 down and get rid completely of the kilns, it's probably gonna be more parsimonious to cut only half of the trench and find those walls. Uh, And Sada was talking about covering the architecture in her trench and she has some pretty significant architecture. Are you gonna be doing the same thing with the kilns or the, um, or the, the walls that you find? Certainly the walls and probably the kilns too, they, uh, they are more stable. The, the kilns are quite baked, but I think it's best to protect everything so that we can uncover it and work again when we come back. 
Great. And uh, Sara, then what, when you say covering these, what do you cover them with? Uh, we will use a plastic. Uh, this is a plastic sheet that we will use. It's a very thick one. And then we will fix this one with using some bags filled with the soil. And then, of course, because the heat we have here, we need to partially backfill the trench. So we need to cover all this plastic with at least like 10 centimeter of soil to protect everything from, from the sun and from the heat to right. avoid the destruction of the plastic. Great. Well, let's wrap up this segment now. We'll finish the third segment in a couple weeks as we've wrapped up the project and hopefully we'll have some more exciting news for you then. Until then, here's a quick ad break. Chris Webster here from the APN. You've heard me talk about Zencaster for a few months now, and there's never been a better time to check this out and start a podcast. Zencaster has hosting tools and both audio and video podcasting capability. Many of you have already clicked on the link in the show notes, and we thank you for that. Use the code TAS, that's T-A-S, at the link in the show notes, or go to Zencaster.com and use the code, that's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com, to get 30% off your first three months. Again, use the code TAS for 30% off your first three months at Zencaster.com. We've got a contest. The folks over at AEO Screen are giving one of our listeners a brand new screen. Pick anything from their website and they'll ship it to you. Not an archaeologist? No problem. These are great for gardening and other tasks around the house. I mean, come on, right? Anyway, these are great screens and you won't be disappointed. We'll pick the winning entry at the end of May. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash screen for details on how to enter. It's easy and you can get multiple entries. Increase your chances by helping out others. That's arcpodnet.com slash screen for details on how to win. Want to keep this conversation going? Want to talk to the hosts of this show and other fans? Then join our membership program and get exclusive access to the hosts, other fans, and early access to these episodes and bonus segments and content. You'll also get forever access to our live show back catalog and any other shows ad-free. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for details. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show. This is segment three. Where we're not at Lagash anymore. I'm sure you can tell by the soundscape changing yet again that we are in a new location. Uh, we are waiting in the waiting room, because that's what one does, uh, at the Basra Airport, uh, ready to take our flights back home. We don't have Zaid with us today. He's on his way up to Baghdad to take care of some business with the Department of Antiquities. So it'll just be Sada, Brad, and me. Uh, and then I'll rope Zaid into a, a remote call so we can round this out. <laughs> Let's see. Overall, it's been a pretty good season. Absolutely. Wonderful season. So let me start with you, Sarah. Wonderful season. What was what was good about it? Well, first of all, we were excavating a lot. So we were very, pretty excited what we found. Very interesting discoveries and a lot of work to do later in the future days and months. Um, and what about tons of pottery? Mm-hmm. And Moreover, we processed all, so we were able to really accomplish our goal to excavate and process all the material we found. Uh, we found different kind of contacts. We were able to investigate the part of the site and to connect all the trenches we've done according to the time and the period we excavated. So we were have a little bit more information about what happened in this southern part of the site. Right, and that's really big, having actually processed <laughs> almost well, everything that we collected. Yeah. Yeah, talking about, well, talking about pottery, we have more than 900 
pottery shirt we drone the diagnostic and so if we have to think about how many pottery shirt we process we have to multiply it for 10 at least so we should have around maybe 9,000 pottery shirts we processed wow. or more how about Brad? <laughs> you had a pretty good season. Yours was um, a little more interesting <laughs> in the sense of interesting, uh, you know, like in the Midwest, interesting. Huh. You mean uh, difficulties in some ways? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, what I like to talk about is what, how things kind of changed in the different stages of this excavation and what we were seeing. Mm -hmm. So I had said last time that I was surprised that the kilns had gone so deep. Yeah. And this time I'm surprised that the walls had not, that they were so shallow, apparently. <laughs> they were hard to find because they're made of mud brick and they're surrounded by fallen mud brick. Um, and then when we did find them, we got a floor or two, not quite what I, you know, I would have expected multiple floors because these walls seem to have been altered often. But looking just a little below one of the floors, it looks like the the walls kind of stop after 10 centimeters, you know, or 15 maybe. And there's just not a lot to look at there because the tops of walls are often very poorly preserved and you want more depth in order to look at that wall more carefully. So we didn't quite get that. Uh, I do have the walls, but there are a few that I'm not quite certain of. And well, what can you do except come back next season and hope that there are walls beneath it that are in better shape and that show us the organization a little bit clearer. Yeah, and um, let's see. I'm actually going to pop your bubble about getting all the processing done. <laughs> well, what about your the survey? survey yeah. So on the survey, we took over 700 collections, and we processed all but about 30 of them. <laughs> That was pushing and pushing to get it done and didn't quite. But we do have enough to get to generate some preliminary heat maps where we can see the distribution of different kinds of artifact types by broad class. And there are two really good hot spots of slag of various types. Uh, one of them just, just to the north and east of where we were excavating. So it might be interesting to look there. But, you know, it was a lot of fun. I don't know if this happened before or I, I don't remember if this happened just before or just after the last recording but uh, we were doing some more drone work around different parts of the site and found additional clear traces of massive city walls. And that was, uh, that was really exciting. After, after I think that all, happened yeah. after. after. So, uh, so now we're beginning to get a better sense between the excavations where we can see the architecture, we can correlate that to the magnetometry that was done before. We can correlate both of those to what we're seeing immediately subsurface from the aerial. We're starting to get these heat maps that might tell us a little bit about different use zones at different time periods and across the site. So we're starting to be able to bring all these different strands of information together. Which and now is we know that the structure we're finding in my trench and the ones you are finding in your trench are for sure ED1. Yeah, right, because on one of our floors we did have there wasn't much on most of them, but one of them had a, a beaker or goblet. It's like a goblet, or what? Or yeah, goblet. Yeah, for sure. Right? That was definitely ED1. Yes. Yeah, so actually, ED1, the pottery, according to the pottery, was almost entirely ED1 that you had, or uh, no, no, the upper faces, my upper faces are ED3A, so it's connected with. The his faces, the kilns probably, yeah, but then the structure that he found is ED1, uh -huh. so it's connected to my ED1. We had to see how they correlate, right. but at least we know that we got ED1 structures. Well, and I haven't yet looked at uh, what you processed from the survey, but uh, is that is there any patterns that you've seen emerge from uh, that? 
hard to tell now, but yeah. for sure we know that there is also something that is ED1 that we found at Pottery of mm -hmm. Survey, not just ED3, but too too early to tell. Right, and the pottery go. different than from the excavations yeah, is from a deflated it's surface, so it's yeah. different post-depositional right. processes. And one of our aims in the beginning, anyway, choosing trenches kind of uphill from one another was to see how they interacted and what what were the phases, and I think we've accomplished that. Accomplished it. So yeah. that's good. Yes, is there anything surprising from this season? Everything was surprising. It <laughs> always is, right? To some extent, yeah. Hmm. Uh, was there anything that was uh, was kind of awful, something that you really didn't like about anything on the project or in the archaeology? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> no, this was a really not. good season. Everything was great. And uh, there's a lot that makes a good season, but one of them is the people, and I think we had a really great team. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, you tell me about what we found that was really impressive or interesting. Well, we found seal impressions. Yeah, and that's true. Tons of seal impressions, yeah, actually. So just sometimes just the back, sometimes. And so we have the administrative hints that took place there mm -hmm. and ED1 uh, seal impressions. I don't know if you can hear Dr. Holly Pittman in the background yeah. here chiming yeah, in, just, but seal impressions just seal are... impressions, right? They are very diagnostic. They are very sensitive chronologically as well as interesting iconographically for all sorts of reasons. So ceramics together with seal impressions really do allow us, will allow us to build something quite precise. Inshallah. Inshallah. Augusta. <laughs> the street. The street. Since we uh, normally record just the four of us, you know, hiding out, but we're most of the team here right now. Dr. Augusta McMahon has a couple things she wants to say about the street. Yeah. So the entire reason that we chose the area that we chose to excavate in, because we had some magnetometry from 2019 that showed a whole network of different sizes of streets. So one of the trenches, Sarah's Trench, was over an alley, and um, that was really interesting just to see the width of that and some of the deposits from that. And the trench that uh, the Cambridge team excavated had a very large street in it. And the interesting thing about it was we could see it really clearly in the magnetometry and it had borders to it. But when we actually excavated it, it actually had three phases. So in the initial phase, it was entirely used. Then over time, it seems to have re retracted down so that only one part of the street was used and a sort of groove or rut was eroded into it. And then in a third phase, um, that was filled with trash. So we can actually see sort of the development of the use of streets that also should affect the other structures that are around and the kind of households that we have living next to these living next to the street over the period of time that it's in use so in the sort of middle of the early dynastic period again it's a sort of useful streets can be incredibly useful for just judging changes within this entire structure of the city so it was great their houses but I actually found that our street was fantastic for actually giving us a really good sense of the internal changes that are happening within the city in this early dynastic period. It also had amazing trash in it, so all kinds of animal bones and fish bones and bitumen that was being used for some kind of crafting nearby and so on. So streets are excellent. Oh, I can really encourage anyone who's thinking about excavation to, to excavate streets because they give you this sort of perfect picture of what people are throwing out. And archaeology, of course, is trash. Thanks, Augusta. You can now hear the uh, requisite scream baby and uh, that we're going to have to board in just a minute. So I'm going to cut this segment kind of short right now. I will get back in touch with Zaid and we'll record a little bit with him to hear his thoughts. But uh, 
for me, uh, I really enjoyed working with all of you. This was a great season, uh, a lot of fun, learned a lot, got to explore a bunch of things. Archaeologically, learned a lot about the archaeology of Sumer and about, you know, the, the conduct of it. And, uh, and so it was, it was a great experience overall. Uh, again? Great to have you, Bob. Why, thank really. you. <laughs> it's a huge difference. So, he listen. fixed the washing machine. <laughs> he helped us. <laughs> Internet. Right. He was, he was able to manage everything. All right, so uh, if you didn't get the sense from before, it takes a whole bunch of different types of people with a whole bunch of different types of skills on a good project to make it work. Right. So uh, I, I was Mr. Fix-It for a bit. <laughs> In addition to Mr. Drone Flyer. And, and Mr. Mr. Drone Pilot. But anyhow. And Survey, Mr. Survey. <laughs> well, Mr. Survey Mr. was survey. helped immensely, again, all kinds of people, by, uh, yeah. by our reps who did the bulk of the survey work and by your students who did the bulk of the analysis and the, the, the weighing and measuring of uh, all these materials. So, you know, the good cooperative project yeah, that way. Absolutely. All right. I'll get back to you soon with uh, with Zaid's thoughts. And until next time, bye. Hi, Zaid. Welcome back. It's been a couple of days since I've seen you. You yep. know, we recorded everybody else in the airport in Basra, but you weren't there because you had to run up to Baghdad instead. Uh, that wasn't part of our original plan. You were going to fly back with us, but things came up. Do you want to uh, let our listeners know what you're doing in Baghdad? Yeah, so I'm following up closely on releasing the samples, the geoarchaeological samples that we collected from and around the, the city of Lagash. And it's been a bit challenging, but we are hoping to get the samples from this season and the second season back in November. And hopefully, you know, in a day or two, I'm able to, I'll be able to collect, to, you know, pick up these samples and transfer them to the States to do analysis on them and to find out about many, many, many information. And the main information will be toward the, you know, determining how far up was the head of the current Gulf. Right. That's a big part of uh, Reed's dissertation. I don't know if we mentioned Reed uh, outright in the early recordings, but he's he's Dr. Pittman's grad student. And <laughs> and he's been having a devil of a time getting these soil core samples out of the country. But hopefully you're going to be victorious this time. And, uh, and I'll see you probably next week back here in New York with those soil samples in hand. Fingers crossed, right? Fingers crossed, yeah. So we were wrapping up, you know, in the airport, just talking about the project overall, and uh, in our general sense, each of us felt like it was a pretty successful season. How how was your sense about it? Did you did you enjoy the season? I did. I certainly did. Actually, you know, uh, now thinking about the season and how it went, I look back and I see I really appreciate. You know, I really appreciate the time we were at Lagash. You know, uh, this uh, this last month. You know, 2019, as I mentioned before, you know, I thought I was, you know, the luckiest person, you know, landscape uh, archaeologist, you know, watching the water, plenty of water filling the marshes around Lagash. And uh, I was mm -hmm. observing, you know, what does that mean uh, to the environment, how the environment looks like with this uh, plentiness of water? And what does it mean to the, you know, to the behavior of the, you know, settlers of the area? Because uh, it's likely that, you know, uh, people at Lagash and around Lagash have been taking advantage and dealing with, you know, this, this, this environmental changes. And, you know, the 
there's a lot of water. People started to use the water to transportation. You know, kids go in the morning and set their nets right in the front of their yards, basically, and taking advantage of the, you know, uh, any, any economic, you know, uh, items that they could get through the marshes, things like that. Uh, and I thought, you know, I was very lucky to see that. This season, actually, you know, it's, it, we are at Lagash and approximately at the same time, you know, March to April, and there isn't much of water, there is less water, and the landscape does look different, and people behave differently, you know, or react differently for these changes. You see, for example, now they have enough land, it's not covered by water because there isn't enough water. They do cultivate the lands, you know, wheat and barley, and they have their animals, you know, uh, graze these lands, you know, after, you know, cultivation. There isn't much of, you know, uh, fishing in the area because there isn't much of water. And the, if there is a little of water, it's not deep enough. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's semi-dry this season. You see a lot of small sites exposed, you know, in the marsh next to Lagash. That, you know, otherwise, if, you know, in 2019, we would not be able to, you know, see them. So these are all small settlements that they existed. So, you know, I really appreciate the time, you know, time, exact time with different faces, faces of the earth around luggage. That gives me an opportunity to reflect, you know, on how people behave and react to, uh, you know, to the existence of water, or less, less water, or more water. What does that mean? Things like that. So I really like it. You know, I think now, you know, I'm, I'm double lucky. Yeah, I think that we are double lucky to have you actually on the project too. As an Iraqi, you have an appreciation of the history and the landscape and are seeing these connections in a way that the rest of us maybe aren't between the ancient past and how people cultivated the land and where the water was and how they used the waterways and the animals and all the above and the uh, the modern present, which has definitely changed and it's not directly analogous, it informs our understanding of the past. And, uh, and so it's nice that you have that personal connection to the to the place and to the space and to the time. So, you know, I'm just going to leave it at that because we've got another season coming up in the yep. fall. Maybe we'll record again and hopefully we'll have some new results, some new developments, some new theories, some new things that we can test. But in the meantime, you know, this has been a fantastic season. I think that we all agree and so. we learned a lot and it was so good to have you and everybody on the project because we brought all these different perspectives, these different skills and aptitudes and interests, and everybody worked together really nicely as a team, you know, bringing their different, uh, the, the different skills. Absolutely. And like your Iraqi perspective was absolutely invaluable for that. So thanks, Said. Thank you, Paul. And I guess I'll sign off this podcast right now. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network.
Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening. Please consider joining our growing core of members over at archpodnet.com slash members. If you liked what you heard, consider leaving a review wherever you're listening to this.